The focus this evening will be on verse 16 to verse 22. Begin reading in verse 13. Children, here are your questions for this evening. First, what did God promise he would do for Israel? Two, how did Pharaoh react to God's message that Moses brought? Or how will Pharaoh react to God's message that Moses brought? Three, what has God promised to all who believe in Jesus? And four, does God always keep his promises? Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. This is the word of God. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry, and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so ye shall plunder the Egyptians. There ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word, and Lord, we know that you have spoken. And though we don't hear an audible voice like our forefather Moses did, Lord, we hear your voice in your holy word. Lord, as we've heard from you tonight through the reading of your scripture, now we pray that we would still hear from you through the means you've ordained for the preaching of your word, this message. And so, Lord, please bless the preacher by sending your spirit in a special way. And each one of us who will hear tonight, minister to us, we ask, as we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's amazing to me that Moses can still be having a dialogue with God after the experience he just had in meeting God through the burning bush and God speaking to him directly, uh, addressing him as Moses. I would think that you would be undone, and yet God must have put him at ease enough to continue this conversation. The conversation that he has isn't quite a debate. 
It hasn't really been a debate so far, at least at this point. But Moses, so far, has been trying to get some answers. He knows that he's supposed to go and be the deliverer of God's people, but he asks some critical questions. He asks, well, who am I to go? And he asks, why should the people listen to me? And further, why should Pharaoh listen to me? And by the way, who should I say sent me? Four very critical questions. The Lord answers each one of them in reverse. We'll see some of that in this passage. We saw some last week. The first one is, when you, when you wonder who I am, tell them, I am. I am Yahweh. I am, period. I am the self-sustaining one God that there is. There is no other self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. I am also the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you see that throughout Scripture, God constantly reminding his people, I am your God, I am your covenant God. That's who is sending you, that's who you should say is sending you. Why should Pharaoh listen to you? Well, in fact, Pharaoh isn't going to listen to you. But he certainly will get the message. He'll get the message that God is at work, and that will take some time. Why should the people listen to me is Moses' question, and the answer is my people will see, and the people will listen, the leaders will listen. And finally, when Moses asks why me, the answer is, well, yes, it is you. You are going to be my deliverer. Surprising as it may be to you, you are going to lead this people, and I'm going to use you. I'll deliver them, but I'm going to use you as my deliverer. I want to add, as we move forward, the whole context of this, everything we've learned so far, and everything that we'll continue to learn in Exodus, and in fact, throughout Scripture, we need to have at least a fundamental understanding that God is absolutely sovereign over all things, or other, otherwise, some things simply won't make sense. And so we always have to have in mind behind the scenes that, that God isn't somewhat sovereign. God isn't limited at all in what he does, but he is absolutely sovereign. So important in so many different areas of our understanding, it's very important in this situation. Because God, being sovereign, when he says he's going to do something, it will come to pass. Remember, none of this has taken place yet. What we've just read hasn't taken place yet, but God is telling Moses, this is what's going to happen, and you can be sure of it. God's plan is his promise, and his promise is, is his plan. What he wills will come to pass. The question for Moses, the question for the people, the question for us is, do we believe that? Do we believe that God is absolutely sovereign and that he's absolutely true to his word, that he has a plan that will be fulfilled and that he's made unbreakable promises to his people? The question is, do we believe it? Well, we look at Moses. So yes, Moses, you will go. You will go and be the deliverer. First round up the leaders. First round up the leaders and give them this promise. Here's how it sounds. I, Yahweh, see your affliction, and I will deliver you. Again, God establishes who he is. I am. I am the great God. I am the covenant God, and I've seen your affliction. I've visited you. 
he says. God is everywhere all the time, but in this sense, he visits his people in a very intimate and special way. Joseph had said that was going to happen when he was about to die. He says so much, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it's a promise that's long-lasting, and even the promise of God visiting the people in a special way is fulfilled here. The idea is this. God is very intimately in the presence of his people, the living God. He has met with his people. And as he's among them, he sees their affliction. And he hears their woes. And he promises to deliver them from the bondage that they've found themselves in in Egypt. I will deliver you. Not only will I take you from the land of bondage, not only will I take you from slavery in Egypt, I will bring you to the land flowing with milk and honey. Yes, there are all these Canaanites and Perizzites and Jebusites and Hittites, etc. there, but I will bring you in there, and that is the promised land. And this, this rich expression, flowing with milk and honey, something to satisfy body and soul. I will deliver you, and I will bring you into that place. But some things have to take place first. Moses, you need to go and tell this to Pharaoh. You need to go tell this to Pharaoh. God says, tell them I sent you. Tell them I am Yahweh sent you. Not just another god, not just one of these fictitious gods that the Egyptians have come up with, not just this special god to Israel, but the God, the one true and living God, Also, the covenant God of Israel, he is the one who has sent me to give you this message. And even those very words, when Moses goes and tells Pharaoh, I am sent me to you, probably didn't make a whole lot of sense to Pharaoh. How does that even make sense? Does it really even make sense to us, even though we know this God, we know who he is, we know he's the infinite, self-sustaining God. How can this unbelieving Pharaoh even begin to grasp what I am is all about? But nonetheless, I am is sending you. And tell Pharaoh to let the people go. Tell him to let the people go. Say to this people, this is verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Then he's to go to Pharaoh, right? They will listen to you, then go to Pharaoh and tell him this. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, so if you're looking at verse 18, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Send this message to Pharaoh. We read that right away, and we wonder if there's not something dubious in this. He's asking for three days' journey. A lot of speculation about what this might mean. Aren't the people supposed to leave Egypt and never come back? I I think we are wrong to have in our mind that this is supposed to be a three-day round trip. 
that they're going to go out and then come back. More likely than a lot of the suggestions, it's likely that God is using increments in Pharaoh, testing Pharaoh. At first, ask for three days and see what he does. God already knows he's going to harden his heart, but give him these increments, three days. Start with this small request and see how he reacts. But tell him that we need to go out we need to go out and worship God. We need to go out and make sacrifices. And that really is the key. That Pharaoh needs to know that his people need to be set free to glorify their God, to worship God in freedom in their own land. Not under the burden of some oppressor. So go tell Pharaoh, Yahweh sent you, Tell him to let you go for three days, but he won't listen. Trying to get into the mind of Moses, it's hard to process this. Why would I go and tell Pharaoh something that I know he's not going to listen to? But God knows he's not going to listen. In fact, that's part of God's plan. He won't listen. Not only will he not listen for this short-term trip, but... But let alone, he won't listen to you for this idea of a long-term exodus to let the people go. But nonetheless, Moses, you need to believe the promise that I will deliver my people and I will bring them into the promised land. But Pharaoh has a very hard heart and he's not going to listen. But trust my promises. Here's part of the promise. There's judgment to come on the oppressor. I will stretch out my hand. He will let you go. And when you go, you won't go empty-handed. First of all, God says, I will stretch out my hand. There's an irony there. Remember, back in the day, many years before, Moses thought he was going to deliver the people of Israel with his hand as he struck down the Egyptian. Now God's saying, no, by my mighty hand, I am going to send wonders upon the people, terrors upon the oppressors. God's people will see my hand at work, and the Egyptians will see how mighty I am, is what God is saying here. These terrors will fall upon your oppressors. And finally, he will let you go. And for Moses, for sure, and for many of the people, it still would seem impossible, even as they're going through the plagues that are coming. We're not there yet. These are the promises. It's going to be hard for them to promise, to, to process that he really is going to let the Israelites go. But God says, I will smite him. And then, in fact, he will drive you out. He'll not only say go, he will drive you out. And when you go, you won't go empty-handed. You are to go to your Egyptian neighbors, and the women in particular are to ask them for, for means to make the journey. This is not, this is not about taking advantage of unbelievers. It's also not, if you have a King James version of the Bible, it's not borrowing these goods from their neighbors, as that translation has it. 
It's not like they're going to pretend to borrow and keep them. But the people of Egypt, those who are favorable towards the Israelites, are going to give these things to them. They are indeed plundering the Egyptians. They're using the riches of the Egyptians, and we'll see how that plays into things later. And these things that the people will give you will provide for your journey and be significant later on in the establishment of the nation. But know that you're not going to go empty-handed. And so Moses can know for sure that God is going to deliver. God will surely deliver. He said so. But looking ahead, we know that the journey won't be easy. Israel will be tried, tested in the wilderness. Things will get rough. Doubts will arise. There will be unbelief. There will be unfaithfulness among the people. There will be grumbling because they keep forgetting the promise. And they keep forgetting who God is. And they keep forgetting whose they are. But those who cling to the promise can be steady-footed on the journey. They can trust in God's promises. His plans are sure. His word is true. Now to us. We have a constant reminder in Scripture that Yahweh is God and he's the covenant God of his people. That should not escape us. We need to remember that the same God of creation, the same one true and living God, Yahweh, the covenant God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is our God. And he has not changed. And he still keeps his word and he is still faithful. Things have changed for sure in history. We're not part of this nation Israel traveling around and finally establishing itself in the land. We are the church of God, the fulfillment of all that Israel was ever meant to be. Things have been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to first or Second Corinthians. Sorry, Second Corinthians. As surely as God delivered his people from Egypt to the promised land, he has delivered us in Christ. And that's the parallel. This, this great deliverance, this great historical deliverance in the Old Testament is, is just a small picture, real-life historical event, but it's, it's representative of something far bigger, the deliverance of God's people from bondage to sin and death and the devil. 2 Corinthians 18.22, and I can't explain the whole context now. Second Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.18-22. Can't explain the context now, but listen to the words of Paul. Start in verse 17. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Here's what we need to hear. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. 
for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. All the promises, did you catch that? All the promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. They all find their yes in him. The whole Old Testament, all those promises, including God's promise to deliver, find their fulfillment, find their yes in Jesus Christ. He promised he would deliver his people. He delivers his church, destroying the enemy. He gathers in his people and he establishes them in a land, not on this earth, but in heaven. Those things have been accomplished in Christ. Jesus has visited, has dwelt among the people, and he's accomplished these very promises. He's accomplished it for his church. He's accomplished it for us as individuals. Yes to salvation, the promise. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It's a promise. Yes to your sanctification. Yes, God really is working in your life what's pleasing in his sight. Yes to your security. Yes, he really is going to bring you along on the journey and bring you into the promised land. You see, it's all yes. All these earthly things that the, the Israelites experienced are completely fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and they are yea and amen. They're promises fulfilled. But do we really trust his promises? Do we really believe that we're saved in Jesus Christ, that our sins really are forgiven? Do we really believe that God is at work in us and changing us? Do we really believe that one day he's going to bring us home into his presence? I hope we do because those are some fundamentals of the faith that we profess. And they're promises, sure promises given to us by God. Well, the journey for Israel was not going to be smooth. But they would have to trust in his promises. And the same is true for you and for me. The journey may not be smooth. Surely we're not going to experience uh, the things that they experienced. In comparison with what they deal with wandering around in the wilderness, what we experience, at least in an earthly sense, in comparison. We wonder how they could be unfaithful and unbelieving and grumbling, but we've never been in their sandals trekking across a desert, hungry and thirsty. Nonetheless, we'll probably face some real challenges in life. Some will experience things rougher than others, but be sure of this, we will arrive in Canaan, in the land of milk and honey, the promised land, in the presence of God, where our worship will never cease. But in the journey, we need to trust in his promises. There is an old hymn written in the 1900s, 1903, by a man named George Young. It's kind of a hymn sing song. Some of you may know it. Some of you may not know it. Uh, affectionately, I think it's best played on a Baptist piano. It has to be a Baptist piano. But you may know it. 
And it helps us. The words help us because some of us are going to deal with great trials. Others of us have a smoother life. I think of the difference between, for instance, written by a good Baptist, by the way, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, right? Christian, very difficult journey, very difficult time entering into the celestial city. Whereas Christiana, his wife, just kind of floats into the celestial city. But here's this song. It has to do with our journey. It's got different titles in shady green pastures. In shady green pastures so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. Where the water's cool flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads his dear children along. Sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright, God leads his dear children along. Sometimes in the valley, in darkest of night, God leads his dear children along. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. Though sorrows befall us and evils oppose, God leads his dear children along. Through grace we can conquer, defeat all our foes, God leads his dear children along. Away from the mire and away from the clay, God leads his dear children along. Away up in glory, eternity's day. God leads his dear children along. Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night seasons and all the day long. That's so comforting. Know that God is with us. God is guiding us every step of the way. Well, back to Moses for a moment. Moses and the people, they're going to get ready for these wonders that will be magnificent, that will lead to their deliverance. They're going to need to trust God in his promises. But again, there's even bigger things to come. And this bigger picture will be fulfilled when Christ comes in the fullness of his kingdom. And I'm not sure what signs and wonders we will see on earth. But as you know, if you've ever read Revelation, behind the scenes, there are some incredible things taking place that will be one day fulfilled completely. Some already fulfilled, some happening now, and one day this final conclusion. When finally, when finally all evil is destroyed and finally God's people are delivered and finally they're with him in the new heavens and the new earth. God has promised us that. The question is, do we believe that? That the enemy will be destroyed, multitudes will be gathered in, the new heavens and the new earth will be ushered in, where we'll bask in his presence forever and ever. The promises are true. They're from Yahweh, our covenant God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your unbending faithfulness to your unworthy people. You're so good. And in the days of old, you promised our forefathers great things, and you fulfilled every one of them. And you have promised us and fulfilled great things in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we say yea and amen to all of the things that are fulfilled in Christ our salvation, our hope of eternity, all bound up in your true promises. And Lord, we know there's even more to come. We are still on the journey ourselves. 
We pray that you would help us to trust in you and trust in your promises along the way. We know that even in a great day to come, there is something more spectacular, more permanent, more awe-inspiring beyond our wildest imagination still to come when we see the new heavens and the new earth before our very eyes and we see Jesus fully glorified, King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's in his name that we come to you. Amen.